arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Mulholland ordered a 12-foot steel pipe forged in Germany and shipped around the Horn. A hundred thousand men and women worked on the aqueduct, but never more than a few thousand at a time because the exhausting and dangerous work kept turnover so high. They had been farmhands, cowboys, and hard rock miners, but now they were city employees, civil servants like the chief himself. With no air conditioning, no refrigeration, no hard hats, in 110 degree heat, they crossed the Mojave in five years with a pipe big enough to hold a locomotive. This was, uh, you know, an aqueduct that would have reached all the way across Massachusetts and then almost all the way back through a desert with mountains. The wonder of being back in time and even observing the California aqueduct under construction with all its hard work, gigantic pipes being moved around by mules in the hot, hot weather, and the optimism of overturning Nico's evil plan comes tumbling down when members of McKenna's crew begin to die. McKenna, now working on the project with Steuben, has a closeness to Aubrey Jane that competes with his mission. Rasputin's research shows that Nico is constructing a way to destroy everything. When Nico makes an appearance outside the mess hall, McKenna pulls his gun, but Nico is an ultra image and ends up dissolving in gold dust into the desert. The story gets interesting. Episode 4, Time Portal Alpha by Robert P. Fitton begins now. Chapter 12, near the Owens River intake, California Aqueduct, February 19, 1913. Trouble in Owens Valley. McGrath lay next to Rasputin and Cam at the double rocks above the valley and the winding river beyond. The horses were tied to the scrub to the right. The area now had electrical and telephone lines between the poles stretching south. Mechanical equipment and supplies were scattered about the intake concrete. The air was hazy in the distance, but had a salt freshness. It's changed in eight years, Will, said Cam. I wonder why the signal would emanate from this area. Toward the east, the early morning light gave the valley a flavor of a landscape painting. Through the binoculars, McGrath saw several men working near the concrete intake. More crews were downstream and others up north. Perez, Gaudet, and Hunter have been buried up here for eight years said Rasputin. And we've only gone a few weeks on the timeline, said McGrath. You think there are others up here, Will? Asked Kim. Why, you ready for action there, Roughshot? Well, yeah, Nico is one of the most dangerous men of all time. Nico's hate has caused him to lose sight of reality, said Rasputin. That same hate may cause him to make a mistake. McGrath shook his head. Nah, don't count on it. The signal emanated from the intake area, which might indicate them planning to dump something in the water downstream, said McGrath. Let's do this. I'll go north, Rasputin by the intakes and Cam in the valley down south. This is a survey expedition. We'll meet here at the Double Rocks in three hours. 
Let's find these bastards and take them out. McGrath felt more like a cowpoke with his wide mustache as he rode into the encampment around midday. What can I do for you? asked a chunky little man with a crumpled up hat. He sat on a rock near the other men and nibbled on a bread roll. Name's McGrath. I'm looking for this man, he said, dismounting, and he handed Nico's photograph to the man. Yeah, he's been around, said the man looking up. What'd he do? McGrath's stomach fluttered. Man is wanted for murder. You a marshal? asked another man as they passed Nico's picture around. Bounty hunter. Man's name is Dr. Nico Morrow. Then McGrath passed photos of Nico's last known associates. These men have carried out orders in his name. Yeah. These men have been around here separately, said the man with the hat. I'm not involved with this, but they may be trying to dump something in the water. We'll keep a lookout for them, Mr. McGrath. Thanks, he said, climbing back into the saddle. I'm heading south to the intake. My boss can be contacted at the monolith plant. His name is Mark McKenna. McGrath moved slowly while he was still among the crews, but then gained speed back to Rasputin at the intake. He spoke into his device. Annie, I just found out that Nico and a lot of them have been seen here up the river. Then that signal was a premier mistake. I showed them all photographs of Nico and the rest of them. These men will now be looking for Nico and the word will spread. I gave Mark's name at the plant as the contact. I'll let Mark know, said Ann. Will, we've got a problem here. Getting you outside has messed up the fusion units. They're partially drained and magnetically hypercharged. Well, we'll be here for a while. Let him charge. It's possible Nico's vessel is in the Oversea, north of the Owens intake. I'll continuously monitor the area, Will, and let you know we have power. Okay, on my way to Rasputin at the intake, McGrath out. About 45 minutes later, McGrath spotted Rasputin near his horse, about 50 yards from the Owens River's four concrete intakes. Rasputin shuffled along the banks and appeared to be collecting samples from the soil. McGrath dismounted and led his horse along the dry soil. Oh, Will! was about to buzz you, and he said you'd verified Nico in the north area. Yeah, he and the others have been up here. Opinion, Rasputin. I think he's scoping out the aqueduct. Hasn't made up his mind what he'll do to destroy it. Remember, this man lives to highlight his own prowess and infallibility. I agree. What'd you find out? asked McGrath. The men I talked to think the aqueduct will be done maybe in 1914. Wasn't it opened in November of 1913 on our original timeline? Maybe it still will be, November 5th, 1913, said Rasputin. This water is good water, no contaminants. I can appreciate that, Rasputin. Rasputin scooped up some water and then stood. I buzzed Cam, but haven't heard from him yet. We'll head back to the Double Rock and check with Annie again. See if they want us stationed up here. That would be prudent. But I would also check south, because Nico is determining how he wants to attack the aqueduct. By mid-morning, Rasputin and McGrath moved on horseback over to the drier landscape toward the double rock around five miles away. He slowed and waited for Rasputin. Something is wrong, 
said Rasputin. I sense it. Rasputin closed his eyes as he held the saddle. But what is it? We need to go south. McGrath buzzed Cam on the device. Then he waited, looking back and forth in the saddle. Why isn't he answering? I don't know if he can. Okay, let's go back. He pulled the reins tight and the horse veered back on the trail. This time the bearded Rasputin kept up with him. Both men galloped back to the intake and rode several miles south during the late afternoon. A crowd had gathered away from the river channel in the sunlight. McGrath moved ahead of Rasputin. Someone was down, spread across the dirt. Another man, about 50 feet to the right, was face down in the dirt. McGrath leaped off his horse. As he jogged across the ground, he saw Cam's body, arms out to the side and his red checkered shirt soaked in blood. He lay motionless on the desert floor. A single purple rose had been placed on his chest. Cam! He shouted and he slid his knees to the dirt. He threw the rose into the desert. I'm one of the surveyors. You know this man? Asked a tall man in a vest and formal clothes. McGrath nodded and picked up Cam's lifeless form. He was my friend! Man over there, said the surveyor, pointing to the other fallen man across the dirt. Shot your friend in cold blood for no reason. There was a woman with raven hair and blue jeans on the ridge. We don't know if she was involved. McGrath thought about Beth as he caught sight of Rasputin meditating behind the crowd. He marched ahead of the others and stared into Nico's man Frank Baker's cold death eyes. This man is a part of a gang, killers. He debated whether to show the photographs in his saddlebag. Thieves? asked the surveyor. One of my friends heard that a group of them are trying to sabotage the aqueduct. Cam was looking for them. Who do you work for, mister? Mark McKenna and J.T. Williams. Poor Cam, he said, lowering his head. Rasputin placed his nimble hand on McGrath's shoulder. McGrath stared at Cam and then spoke. I need to bury my friend. Just keep that scum baker away from my friend. We'll take care of it, said the surveyor. You want a drink? McGrath shook his head. I'm okay. At twilight, Rasputin stood next to McGrath. Cam's loose dirt grave was a few hundred feet away, facing the mountains, and marked with a single wooden cross. Baker was buried several miles away in an unmarked grave. They still had not contacted Andy or McKenna. I always thought would stop Nico, but not this. This kid was tough. He was taken down before he could even fight that bastard. Nico has no respect for life, said Rasputin. If he kills us, then the timeline will change. Then he'll do what he wants. We need to pull out all stops, Rasputin. Find him and kill him. McKenna sat on a bench outside one of the Jawbone Siphon's houses. Some of the work crews and mules maneuvered the next section of pipe into the canyon in the twilight. He stood when Aubrey crossed the camp. She smiled when she saw him and walked directly to the bench. Meeting her was now becoming a regular event. Waiting for a streetcar, Mr. McKenna? Yes, uh, one should be passing by soon, he said, and she laughed. I'm done with work, but Steuben is still working. Well, L.A. has a few streetcar lines even now. Makes it easier to get around, even in winter. Well, the weather is pleasant in Los Angeles. If you want to know the truth, Oklahoma is hot, but very humid. Cold in the winter. We lived in a small town where everyone knew each other. Work was on the farms. 
California is much better weather and lots of orange groves. We all worked up at the ranch. Hard work, but lots of it. But I can make as much money serving food. Did you eat, Mark? Working on the farm. I admire hard work, Miss Wilson, yes. I ate back at Monolith. Mr. McKenna, you can call me Aubrey. And you can call me Mr. McKenna, said McKenna as he laughed. Oh, you're, you're very sure of yourself, aren't you? McKenna lip-smiled and half-nodded. Yes, I am. Did I see J.T. Williams with you at your table? Can you keep a secret? Of course. He wants me to keep my eyes open, should there be any trouble on the aqueduct. Well, that's a good idea. I heard there's been rumblings up in Owens Valley. Exactly right. A windburst swept up the canyon and blew her apron into the dirt. McKenna scooped it up. Your apron, Aubrey. Thank you, Mark. And where, oh where, in Ohio are you from? Troy, north of Dayton. The Wright brothers are from Dayton. Do you know them? They asked my advice to build their plane. Oh, you. You sound like more than just a laborer on the aqueduct. And why is that? Asked McKenna, making a funny face. Oh my gosh, I'm not sure, but I think I'm right. You are. I am? She asked. Can you keep a secret? You know I can. Can you? He asked, laughing. Yes, Mark McKenna, I can, she said, leaning toward him. McKenna whispered, I'm H.G. Wells and I built a time machine. She smiled. You, sir, are a charmer. Will you give me a ride on your time machine, H.G.? You'll have to get me some coffee first. Aubrey opened her eyes wide and twirled her tongue around her cheek. Oh, you, I have to change in my little house they have for me. I'll meet you in the mess hall in 15 minutes. I'll see you then, Miss Aubrey. Deal. She scampered around the commissary, looking back briefly. They both waved at the same time. Steuben stood against the telephone pole with his arms folded. He walked slowly toward McKenna. I don't have to warn you, Mark, that engaging yourself with that girl could change time. You're getting too cozy. Having a cup of coffee, Georges. You know what I mean. I like her. I don't want to hear it. Aubrey changed into a cowgirl hat, work jeans, and a long-sleeved patent shirt. She set the metal coffee pot on the Monarch wood stove. Then she turned a wooden chair around and sat across from him at the table. Don't you just feel like John Carter? She asked, her voice slightly echoing in the mess hall without anyone inside. Edgar Rice Burroughs. You mean wishing yourself to another planet? Well, not Tars Tarsus and the seven-foot-high creatures. Being in the high desert, sometimes I feel like I'm on another planet. Landscape looks that way, he said as he balanced his chin on his folded hands. Barsoom. You've read them. I have. Sometimes, Mark, I used to stand like John Carter and wish to go to Barsoom. And now you're here. Oh, you, she said, holding his wrist again as she laughed. Can you dance, Mark? Maybe. Well, either you can or you can't. Why do you ask? Because the people who run this project want to dance in March to celebrate the achievement of finishing the Jawbone Siphon. Are you asking me to a dance, Miss Wilson? Oh, a lady would never ask a man to a dance. I'm surprised at you, Mr. McKenna. Well, I accept. You can't accept, sir, because I did not, and I state categorically, I did not ask you. 
Will you go to the dance with me, Aubrey? Of course, she said. It's formal or as formal as you can get out here. And I have a secret. Do you have secrets, Mr. McKenna? None that I care to talk about, he said, chuckling. Can you guess my secret? I haven't the slightest, said McKenna, making a face at her. I played the piano, or at least I will when they get it up here from Los Angeles on the Southern Pacific Rail. It's secondhand and was approved by Mr. Mulholland himself. He likes work incentives in operas, and I've ordered some popular songs, and that's all I'm going to say. Well, shut my mouth wide open. McKenna leaned further across the table. I would say, Miss Wilson, that you are quite remarkable. She inched closer and glanced at his lips. That's true and hard-working, he said, moving his lips closer to her lips. And I believe you're going to kiss me, Mark McKenna. Yes, I am. McKenna slowly kissed her lips, and she returned the gesture with equal fervor. Her cheeks were rosy, and her eyes sparkled when they broke. McKenna spoke in a lower voice. I do believe that your coffee pot is perking, Miss Wilson. Oh, I am quite aware of that, Mr. McKenna. Then they both giggled. Oh, my gosh, we're giggling like two school kids. Harvey girls, don't giggle, Miss Wilson. Let's drink our coffee before it boils over. Aubrey moved around the corner, pulled down two metal mugs, poured the coffee, and brought it over to the table. Your coffee, sir. Thank you. McKenna crunched his eyes at the taste of the strong coffee. That's one tough cup. Well, I'm serving tough men who giggle. Stop it. Seriously, not many people can work up here. I guess that's why they're celebrating with a dance. And I have to tell you, she said, holding his wrist, I've ordered three sets of sheet music for the dance. Oh, what songs? It will be a surprise. You're a surprise, he said, pecking her on the lips, and she didn't seem to mind. A good one, I hope. The best. It's Perhaps you should wait until morning. How did you know what I was thinking, that it's too dark to travel back to the plant tonight? Plus, you can see your friend Steuben in the morning. McKenna snapped his fingers. That is a capital idea. Thank you, she laughed. There's extra bunks in the third house. McKenna was impressed with her not just jumping into bed with him. She took both mugs and washed them out in the metal sink. He pictured her pinned-up dirty blonde hair resting on her bare shoulders. She wiped her hands on the cloth and then locked elbows with him. It's dark out there, she said as she extinguished the oil lamp. We'll steady each other. They began giggling again and stepped outside trying to walk on the uneven ground. McKenna liked holding her and her scent was in the night air. He knew what Steuben had said about the timeline was exactly right. Yet he held on and moved with her toward the bunkhouse. Chapter 13 Jawbone Canyon, February 20th, 1913 A Surprise at the Jawbone The next day, McKenna held his device in the desert outside the monolith quarters tents. He had just learned that Cam had been shot dead. Numbness fueled his grief and anger. Along the Owens River, McGrath was racked with guilt that he had split the surveillance party and allowed Cam to be murdered. I just couldn't tell you, Mark. I'm sorry. That kid had his life in front of him, said Annie. McKenna stared across the cement plant. He gripped the device. We have to stay the course to restore the original timeline. 
On the screen, Rasputin's azure eyes focused on McKenna. You need to contact Williams and alert him about Nico. Connect him to Camp's death. This is anyone's fault, it's my fault. I should have gone up there. Evil hides and evil devours, said McKenna. Steuben spoke from somewhere in the Jawbone Canyon. What would he use to destroy the aqueduct? Rasputin nodded. I think I understand what he's doing. Linear dimensional threads, tapped into by subatomic particles. The grid would literally vaporize everything in its path if the inversion layer were removed. It's genius. If he were a genius, he already would have destroyed the pipeline, said McKenna. His arms folded and he closed his eyes. Rasputin, tell me how the inversion layer works. Because if the inversion layer of fields is removed in seconds, contact between the dimensions is an instant Armageddon before it collapses in on itself. However, there are ways to seal the grid. One is with uranium atoms. Okay, said McKenna, opening his eyes. He was still stunned by Cam's death. First things first, we'll get to this grid in due time. Keep working to open those cold fusion locks. Right now, let's plan on a moment of silence for Cam. After work later today. In the twilight later, McKenna, his emotions hammered by Cam's death, arrived at the Jawbone Cipher in construction. Steuben remained working, moving a newly arrived section with a crew and mules. McKenna wandered away from the mess hall and the bunkhouses. Shadows formed directly under the desert landscape hill. His anger for Nico had been supplanted with grief. He sat along the dirt slope and gazed back along the siphon pipe sections, not completely connected. Somehow he needed to get word to JT's office at the Cinco Hospital. To his right, he caught sight of Aubrey behind the mess hall. She waved and started toward him. He stood and welcomed her presence on the hill. Aubrey had her usual wide smile, and it changed into a light-colored dress after work. She sensed McKenna's distressed condition. Are you all right, Mark? She asked as she held his wrist. I didn't see you at dinner. McKenna clamped his lips and shook his head. Kid that worked for me, Kim. He's gunned down up north. Oh, Mark, she said as she hugged him. Her burdened green eyes teared up. I'm so sorry. She held his forearms. What happened? Shot in the back. Aubrey raised her hands to her mouth and then held onto him again as they both remained on the hill. She grasped her hands over his as if she were praying. Her voice was softer now. John Wesley founded the Methodist Church. He lay dying, Mark, and this is what he said as his last words. The best of all of us, God is with us. In our life and in our death, the best of all is God is with us. A single tear descended McKenna's bristly tan cheek. You made me cry. I never cry. I love that kid. It's okay. It's okay. He put his arm around her and they gazed over the men, the mules, and the pipes. They said nothing as the sun slowly settled below the desert horizon. Incandescent and oil lamps glowed below in the cooler air. They steadied each other when they finally stood and carefully negotiated the hill. It's never good when somebody we care about dies. Kenna nodded. 
You feel anger at the man who killed your friend. No, I feel anger at the man who sent him. Near the bottom of the hill, he removed the studio photograph that Andy had produced. This man may have sent the killer to murder Cam, Dr. Nico Morrow. Is he insane, Mark? Only insane people do such things. Yes, he said as they reached solid ground. Let me get you some coffee. Thanks. She locked her arm around McKenna's arm, and they moved precariously down the hill and along the buildings. Inside the mess hall, she had lit the oil lamp. He stuffed a few sticks of wood into the Monarch stove's firebox and then slid the coffee pot onto the stove. Where did it happen, Mark? Just south of the intake from the Owens River. Cam and two other men I know received a rumor that Morrow and his people were going to sabotage the water with anthrax or typhoid. Does Williams know this? Not yet. Please keep what I tell you. Hush, hush. She sat next to him on the bench. It's never easy, and I surely don't mean to minimize it, but it takes time to get over a loss. You sound as if you have experienced it, Aubrey. I did, but that isn't why I told you. Thanks, he said, holding her hand. You're a compassionate woman. Thank you, she said as she stood. Mark McKenna, I'm a woman who believes in justice and right and wrong. Can't tolerate liars, and I'm ready to help anyone who needs my help. McKenna was again hit with the revelation of Cam's death. He pressed his lips and his body tensed. It's all right. It'll come and go, this grief. Who did you lose, Aubrey? Mother and my sis. Sorry. When you lose those close to you, it makes no sense. It's like they're just gone. Maybe that's one reason why I'm up here. I left the Harvey house in Needles and then came back to Mojave. I was asked by the city to work in various sectors. There's 11 sectors, but I've been here the whole time. No one knows another person's grief. And you're after this Dr. Morrow? Yes. Some people call it the hand of God how things happen, she said. And I believe it. McKenna was struck how she had latched on to the very nature of his mission. I think and I've come more to believe that things unravel in the way that they're supposed to. Yes, yes, exactly. That's fatalism, she said. Or God, or maybe God is fatalism, the way of the world. You're not only pretty, you're smart. Yes, indeedy. For the longest time, they held each other. Aubrey later escorted him to the bunkhouse. They sat on the edge of the cot. You stay in the bunkhouse tonight. In the morning, I'm going to make you the biggest meal of bacon and eggs you've ever had, Mark McKenna. You may be a fresh, squeezed orange. How does that sound? Sounds wonderful. Thanks for being here, Aubrey. She smiled slowly. Where else would I be? Kenna was ready to drift into sleep when he heard the device buzz inside his pants pocket on the floor. He quickly dressed and hurried outside. Rasputin came on the channel. Mark, there are the beginnings of a linear dimensional field near the Jawbone Canyon and extending in both directions. This is how Nico will destroy the aqueduct, Mark, said Annie. Once in place and the aqueduct is completed, he can merely open the dimension's energy by removing the inversion layer. It will vaporize the entire pipeline system and send water channels as floods into the valleys. The tunnels will collapse into molten concrete masses from Saugus to the Elizabeth Tunnel. Even the Buena Vista Reservoir and the Silver Lake Reservoirs in L.A. could cascade across the city. How do we neutralize this thing? asked McKenna. I need to double-check the equations. 
Killing Nico and the others won't help us shut down this dimensional field, said Annie. But the grid is not fully operational. Is there a time frame until it is? asked McKenna. I would estimate a month, said Rasputin. He could, however, set it to implode in advance should something happen to them. Nico and his last few men are on the ground now. I can sense it. We don't know that, said Rasputin. He still could be protecting himself within that ultra image. I'm at the Jawbone Canyon and we'll be back in the plant in the morning. I, Rasputin, interrupted. Here's the key to this. There's a remnant of iron oxide from the dimension's magnetic overflow interacting with the soil. It exactly traces the path of the dimensional grid. Understood. Mark, said Annie. Above everything else, I would set as a priority to kill Nico. Have to find him first. Chapter 14. Mess Hall, Jawbone Siphon, California Aqueduct, February 22, 1913. Invaders from the future. Just before dawn, Aubrey served him some eggs and coffee as the line of workers extended out of the building. But she looked at him differently now and he felt strongly attracted to her. Someone had placed a picture of George Washington behind the table. Aubrey informed him today was George Washington's birthday. McKenna, still unraveled by Cam's death, nodded and stepped up to the table. He ate slowly, still consumed with the revenge against Nico. Rasputin's words about Nico's ultimate destructive stunt haunted him every minute and he had no way to stop the formation of this unseen dimensional grid. When he later moved toward the exit, he gave a subtle wave to her. She placed her index finger over her lips and smiled. McKenna had just stepped outside when he felt a hand on his shoulder. He smiled as he looked around to see Aubrey. She held both his hands. I just want you to know it'll be alright with time. Then she hugged him. Kid was shot in the back. Doesn't get more cowardly than that, she said. You'll make rectitude, Mark. I can see you're that kind of guy. And so is J.T. Williams. I'll be back when I can. She smiled and kissed him. I know you will, because I'll be waiting. As she hurried back inside, McKenna saw Steuben standing by a telephone pole. McKenna walked slowly toward the bearded engineer. I was just standing here thinking about what they did to Cam. I'll kill the bastards. I'm with you, Georgies. I just spoke with Annie about the dimensional lines at Monolith. Nico could blow the place to kingdom come, Mark. If you spoke with Annie, then you know that iron oxide alignment detection is the key in the linear lines. Then what? How do we stop him? Rasputin is working on it. And Mark, did you sleep with that woman? I did not. And if I did, Georgies, it's none of your business. You're obviously involved with her, coming over here like a pack dog. That's enough. No, I don't think it is. You get involved with her and you change history. And Nico won't change history? Consorting with that woman, well, her name is Aubrey. I'm heading back to Monolith to work. And to look for the iron oxide lines, I suggest you do the same. Steuben's dark eyes remained fixed on McKenna. I've always respected you, Mark. McKenna walked away, not caring whether Steuben respected him at all. For two days, he lifted barrels of cement powder onto skids for shipment by the railroad, surpassing Fergie's quotas. 
McKenna understood Steuben's warnings about him being involved with Aubrey. Conversely, Aubrey was a woman who had zoomed into his life, and meeting a woman like her was a singular event. Yet he had to stop Nico's grandiose and pompous plan to destroy the aqueduct. But giving up Aubrey was increasingly unthinkable, and he reassured himself that she would not change the timeline. For 48 hours, McKenna's search for the iron oxide filings had proved futile. He had scoured the railroad track and the open desert floor. Then he headed for the latrine as the workday gradually ended. Across the dirt floor near the sink, a bisecting line of fine, rusty particles formed the edge of massive squares at right angles to each other. He bent down and scraped the filings into his hand, then dumped them in his pants pocket. Getting the particles to Rasputin might determine if Nico was really planning to rip open dimensional energy. McKenna did not make the call to Annie until he crossed the Jawbone Canyon Hill. He had transferred the filings into a tiny jar. From a scalloped out gully, he had a spectacular view of the brilliant evening sunlight across the canyon to the mountains beyond. The mess hall and bunkhouses were covered in approaching shadows. He smiled when he thought of Aubrey in the mess hall and looked forward to being with her tomorrow. Mark, said Annie, where are you? On one of the hills overlooking the Jawbone Canyon. Annie, I have a jar of the iron oxide fillings inside. I heard that, said Rasputin. I'm less than a mile from the schooner if we could use the burrowing. Mark, this is Will. We have a visual of your position. Leave the jar in the gully. We'll take care of getting it aboard by quantum burrowing at a lower power. Bringing personnel in and out of here is taxing the cold fusion locks. The lines appear to run at right angles. Magnetic alignment will show the point of origin, which may be Nico's vessel. Understood. Steuben is upset about the woman you've been seeing. I wish everyone would just mind their own business, snapped McKenna as he set the jar in the gully. Will, notify me when you've retrieved the jar. I will. And Annie, I don't think Aubrey Wilson is going to change the course of American history. I didn't find any Aubrey Wilson in our original timeline, she said. That means nothing, said McKenna. She just lived a normal life. Or, Mark, said Rasputin, you may have already done something that saved her life. I don't see it. McKenna out. In his head, as he descended the hill in the cooler air, McKenna replayed the time he had spent with Aubrey. At no time was she in danger or threatened in any way. Just the thought of her perishing bothered him. He was more concerned as he approached the bunkhouses back at Monolith for his own safety. Clearly, Nico was either rehearsing or planning an attack on the Monolith plant, perhaps the entire aqueduct. McKenna finished the whiskey that sat in the shot glass for the past half hour. The pile of gold and silver pieces spread like a mountain in front of his cards. He studied each of the mustached men, all superb card players. This was the first night he had made a substantial haul. What do you got, McKenna? Asked Bulbous Bill from St. Louis, Missouri, a man with a wax mustache and hairy arms. Three ladies, said McKenna, unfolding his hand, and a pair of tents. I'm done, said Bulbous. Pair of two. You playing again, McKenna? 
asked and write a ranch hand from Riverside. I'm done too. You boys have a few shots on me, McKenna said as he stood. He sent some of the money around the table. The rest he placed in his satchel. Across the room, Fred Dyer from Section 5, wearing a black Stetson and smoking a tipperillo, reminded him of Doc Holliday as he stepped out of the shadows. Beady-eyed Dyer had not shaved. Hello, McKenna. Fred Dyer. McKenna had not seen Dyer since a general meeting in a Space Force W auditorium five years ago. The crease lines on his cheeks were deeper. What do you want, Fred? Came up here to tell these men they're playing cards with a professional cheetah. Bulbous Bill turned around. What are you saying, mister? I'm saying that this ain't the first time McKenna's cheated his way to money. You're a liar, you bastard, said McKenna as he held his gun handle on the side holster as he approached Dyer. Where's Nico? When Dyer smiled, he had a wide space between his two front teeth. Funny, I was going to ask you the same thing. Where is he? Dyer slipped a silver gun out and pointed it at McKenna. You're going for a little walk, my friend, and you ain't coming back. I'm going to kill you dead. Now drop your gun. You just can't take him outside with no proof, said Bulbous Bill, defending McKenna. I'll be the judge of that, said Dyer as he looped around and faced the crowd. I said drop it. McKenna removed the gun and Dyer pushed him outside. They had walked some distance from the entrance hall and near the outside rail fence. We know about Nico annihilating this plant in the aqueduct. We know about the dimensional energy. You're a dreamer, McKenna. And we know how to disarm the grid, lied McKenna. Your team won't stop the grid, but it doesn't matter. I will have killed the great Mark McKenna. Goodbye, Mark. He raised his gun in the dim light. I doubt you ever thought you were going to die in 1913. As he spoke, three shots echoed against the front walls. Dyer dropped his gun and fell forward into the dirt. The men emptied out of the bar. From the darkness, Steuben walked forward, his gun still smoking. Georgies, what are you doing here? asked McKenna. Would you rather I had not been here? Oh, I'm glad to see you. How did you know Dyer was here? We had just secured a section of pipe this afternoon when I saw him sniffing around the bunkhouses, Mark. I buzzed Annie and then I buzzed you. My device is in the satchel. You're one lucky dude. The crowd had now gathered around. It's all right, friends, said Steuben. This man was wanted for murder in Arizona. Steuben handed the photos Andy had printed to the bartender. Who's the larger man with the beard? asked the bartender. Dr. Nico Morrow, a killer in several states. You mind if we post this inside, McKenna? Go ahead. Let's bury this man, yelled another guy. Bulbous Bill shook hands with McKenna. I didn't mean to speak out of turn, McKenna. And I didn't mean to beat you so bad, said McKenna, laughing and patting him on the shoulder. We'll play again, Bulbous. Oh, the hell we will. Chapter 16. Above the Jawbone Canyon, California Aqueduct, March 10, 1913. A machine for moving atoms, 
McKenna, Rasputin, and McGrath entered the schooner through the nose cone. The schooner reality panels showed darkness had descended upon the Jarbone Canyon and the cement plant at Monolith. McKenna paused to think about Jen's poster. Time is a gift. Then he moved over with Rasputin and McGrath in front of the wide black and white readout screen. A map of the aqueduct construction with the mountains and hills against the black background appeared on the screen. Mono Lake to the north and the Owens Lake as well as the river were laced with the invisible but all-powerful dimensional grid. The solid symmetrical grid covered the central California landscape for a length of 275 miles and 60 miles across. The genius of Dr. Nico Morrow had so cleverly created a sealed edge between the bubbled dimensions. Once the inversion layer was released, probably when construction was completed, the burgeoning energy into this dimension would vaporize five years of hard work and planning for the city of Los Angeles and possibly leave a radiation residue that would last for thousands of years. So, he holds the ultimate power, doesn't he? asked McKenna. He can decimate the area at any time. He will only do it, said Rasputin, when it's optimum to destroy our original timeline. My question, said Annie, does he care which new timeline he creates? You mean, does he just wish to ruin our timeline? He'd need a vested interest in this new timeline to do that, said McGrath. McKenna stroked his chin before he spoke. Finding that out could take a lifetime. I wish to postulate that he could release the dimension at any time, said Rasputin. Maybe he just wants to be sure the aqueduct will never be built, said Annie. I agree with that, Annie, said McKenna. Let's see this uranium mover. Right this way, said Rasputin, leading him to a clear rectangular box containing a multitude of dull gold uranium packets with individual atoms. Looks impressive, said McKenna. Because it is, replied the confident Rasputin. The intake pump returns the dimensional space back into his grid. With the return, comes the slow march of uranium atoms. Why uranium? Rasputin leaned toward McKenna. Uranium atoms will bond in a force that is irreversible and untenable in any attempts by Nico to dislodge them. Will he know what we're doing? asked McKenna. He takes actual measurements, said McGrath, which is possible, Mark. So we're here under the Sword of Damocles. McKenna headed up to Annie's station. We have no choice than to pray he just leaves things in place until he's ready to pounce. We have ten movers, Mark, she said. McGrath and Rasputin will go out this morning. We can have them in place and operational in three days. When will it be completely sealed and filled with the atoms? asked McKenna. Has to be in place for the atoms to be infused, said McGrath. Could take ten days. Any way to approximate Nico's vessel in the Oversea, Annie? asked McKenna. Apparently he's found a way as he did when the deputies confronted him to move into the Oversea without being detected. No one ever doubted his genius, said McKenna. It's critical to remember, Mark, said Annie from her console, that if the grid is not completely saturated with uranium atoms, and Nico tries to open the dimension, the implosion could even be greater. Not a pleasant prospect, Annie. What about the cold fusion units? Charging. I should be able to get you out. We just keep getting this massive magnetic buildup every time we burrow outside. McKenna turned back to McGrath and Rasputin. You need help with those boxes? Mark, you and Steuben need to stay in proximity of the schooner 
and be watching for Nico and his Section 5 friends. I understand. Keep your device with you, said Annie. McKenna said nothing as Annie just stared at him. Tell him, Annie. Tell me what? Annie bit her lower lip. Aubrey Wilson. What about her? asked McKenna. Aubrey Wilson was supposed to die last month in the construction of the jawbone siphon. McKenna's stomach twisted and he placed his hands on the table. What? Mark, your presence in this timeline right here has now prevented her death. Thought you said you couldn't find anything on her. Her first name is Aubrey. She was listed as Jane. Her presence on the timeline ended in the pipe accident. McKenna stared out the window. Then I've already changed things. You have. Before dawn, McKenna ventured out of the bunkhouse and stood on a rock overhang. The massive cement factory, already humming before daybreak, had smoke spewing into the clear sky. He removed his device. Annie, status. Units are still down and charging. Status of uranium insert. Rasputin and Will are on their way to the southeast corner, Mount Wilson. They should be able to set up the device in the rocks this afternoon. The second device will be placed in San Francisco Canyon to the west, hopefully by sunset. So we'll be pulsing atoms from both southern corners by tonight, and then back to the schooner. If I could transport them out there without alerting Nico, I'd do it. Tomorrow they'll be in Mammoth Lake and then in the Owens Valley. By the end of the week, we should be fully operational and pulsing uranium atoms from all areas. And Nico will not monitor this? He could. We have no choice. I just think it's unlikely. And the entrance via the quantum burrowing outside the schooner is 100% secure. Buzz me when San Francisco Canyon is in place. By the following afternoon, McKenna held Aubrey's hand in a different way as they climbed the canyon hill. He squinted in the late afternoon sun. By now, Rasputin and McGrath would be heading north. His heart beat as he thought about Nico possibly discovering the sabotage. Mark, I must say you're unusually quiet this evening. McKenna smiled. Just a very long day, Aubrey. She kissed him and her eyes perked up. My sheet music came today from Altadena with 10 days to spare. And you're not going to tell me the songs, are you? You may not know them. They're only a couple of years old if you haven't kept up with popular music. And, he said with her eyes close to hers, let me call you sweetheart, she said. McKenna sang the words, I'm in love with you. Her mouth opened wide. Oh, you, that's my line. But you really do know the song. Yes, I know the song. Let me hear you whisper that you love me too. Keep the love light growing in your eyes so true. You do know it, she said, grabbing his hands. How about by the light of the silvery moon? By the light of the silvery moon. She laughed so hard she almost fell back. Well, you know some of it. I'll play the rest of the dance. We have to tune that old piano. Okay, one more. How about Moonlight Bay? That's an older one. I always liked it. Don't worry, we'll dance to that too. Cookie can play it. She made a funny face and rolled her eyes. Or at least he thinks he can. You need to open your own place, Aubrey. Sell sheet music, pianos, and give lessons. You haven't heard me play yet. I know what I like. I'm sure you do, Mr. McKenna. And if you want to know the truth, 
I thought about opening some kind of music shop. You can be my salesman. You couldn't afford me. She straightened his collar. Who says I'm going to pay you? Chapter 15 Mess Hall, Jawbone Siphon, California Aqueduct, February 26, 1913. Dr. Morrow returns. After talking with J.T. Williams about Dyer's relationship with Nico, McKenna left the monolith plant at 6 o'clock. He had packed an extra ammunition belt because of Dyer's death last night and the possibility of other Section 5 men in the area. Rasputin had figured out that segregating uranium atoms and inserting them into Nico's grid would seal the dimension. Making a unit to accomplish this would require more research. Maybe McKenna had grown hardened by his work or the experience of being back in time trying to save the aqueduct. But he was still possessed by a deep seriousness. He thought about Cam as he brought his horse over the trail to the Jawbone Canyon. And even at this late hour, the men and the mules continued to work. His seriousness extended to Aubrey. In his heart, even with history in the balance, he couldn't fight his feelings. He didn't even try to rationalize the fact that Andy couldn't find any record of Aubrey's life. The possibility that his contact with her had already spared a certain death crystallized his attachment to her. He rode into camp with the sun still shining over the canyon. Just the food aromas enticed him because she was nearby. As he hitched the horse, he had a slight smile. He followed the men lined up for dinner. Aubrey, also smiling, gave him a wave as she served the hot plates. McKenna wandered across the room near the opening that overlooked the scrub brush in the canyon. He looked down at his callous hands with a sense of power. His muscles were tight and his mind set on the goal of preventing Nico Moro from activating the grid. A few minutes later, Aubrey trotted across the room and hugged him with a peck on the lips. Her lips were soft. I've got a surprise for you, Mr. McKenna. And what might that be, Miss Wilson? Nice try. I'll give you a clue. You'll have to wait till after you finish your meal. Toothbrush? She exposed her white teeth and laughed. Then she shook her head. No, no, it's not a toothbrush. Then I suppose it's edible. You suppose right. Must be a dessert of some kind. That's all I'm saying, she said, tapping her index finger on his nose. Give me ten minutes, and I'll get some supper over to you, Mark. He kissed the air in her direction. She returned the affection and headed back behind the counter. Now McKenna felt the attraction with an excitement in his stomach. He leaned back in the wooden chair and folded his arms as he watched her serve the plates. Even the smallest little thing about her fascinated him. To his left, through the opening to the desert, wearing a suit with a hint of lavender and a matching brim hat, Nico Morrow walked into the hall. McKenna quickly sat up and removed his pistol. Nico laughed, sniffed his purple rose and pulled back his suit coat. Don't even think of it, Mark. He blocked the sunlight. Aren't you going to offer me a chair? No, I'm going to kill you, said McKenna in a loud whisper. Let me warn you, Mark. You can't kill an image. You seem real to me, said McKenna, shaking his warm hand. You have body warmth. I assure you, my body is connected to forces you cannot begin to comprehend. You're an evil genius, Nico. You will be forced to witness my genius, Mark. Why not just kill me, Morrow? 
Nico slowly moved his head back and forth, and then he laughed before he spoke. You will be my witness, Mark, to the ripping apart of history. What does that mean? It means that I will destroy this aqueduct in your precious timeline of history, and there won't be a damn thing you can do about it. You sickening bastard, said McKenna as he stood. Nico pointed his gun from under his vest. It's not nice to threaten people, Mark. Out the door, now. I'm making it my life's mission to bury you six feet under, said Nico, breaking into laughter. <laughs> to his right, three sheriff's deputies appeared in the mess hall. Nico seemed stunned that they were walking toward him. He turned and stumbled past McKenna onto the dirt outside the mess hall. McKenna followed behind, knocking over one of the wooden chairs. Halt! Right there! shouted the deputy with the low-brim hat. Nico turned and faced McKenna. Of all the nerve challenging me, goodbye, Mark. Aubrey appeared around the corner. Mark! All right, buddy, hand over that gun, yelled the deputy. You fools annoy me, said Nico, flailing his arm as if he were throwing a frisbee. A burst of yellow light which dissipated into gold particles spread before them and then like snowflakes floated to the desert floor. Where is he? shouted the other deputy. He's a magician, said McKenna, thinking quickly. The lady here had a wanted photo, Dr. Nico Morrow. He's a murderer, said McKenna, full of tricks. Good work, young lady, said the older white mustache deputy. Only the bastard has disappeared. Johnny, gather up some men on a horse and sweep the camp. He turned to McKenna. I'll talk to you later, sir. McKenna. The old man nodded as Aubrey rushed over to him. That was quick thinking, Aubrey. She smiled and bit her lower lip. So that was your Nico Moro. Uncanny, the way he got away in that light burst. McKenna remained stunned that Nico could simulate reality in his ultra-image. He knows they're after him now. The deputies will find him, she said, locking her arm with his arm. And you, Mr. McKenna, I'm glad you're all right. I had to stay alive for that dessert. She produced the smile he had come to know. Blueberries from the Central Valley. A tasty pie? Yes, indeedy. McKenna could not help thinking as he held the last morsel of a second helping of juicy blueberry pie that all good things in life incongruously still existed in the midst of tragedy. It was as if things should not taste good or he shouldn't be in love with Cam lying in the ground. He closed his eyes for a second as he savored the fresh blueberries. When he opened his eyes, Aubrey's green eyes lit up as she balanced her chin on her folded hands. You like? He stared at the fine lines woven into the green rim around her pupils. More than anything. Oh, you. She squeezed his hand. I did not come up to the aqueduct for love. Who's to say when love strikes you? Oh, it struck me all right. Then she smiled. When I was a little girl, I had a crush on Jimmy Wise. And how did Jimmy Wise ever give you up? Oh, he was older and went on with his life. Kenna leaned forward and whispered, I'm older than you, by two years. I don't intend, Miss Wilson, to give you up, he said as he kissed her. You want to walk along the hill, Mark? I want to tell you about the piano. I thought you'd never ask, and the pie was fabulous. 
Glad you like it, she said as he stood and pulled back her chair. The deputy with the low-brim hat raised his hand as he entered the mess hall. Miss Wilson, Mr. McKenna, I'd like to bring this Dr. Morrow's photograph to a studio in Tehachapi to make copies. We consider him a danger. McKenna nodded his head. My men searched the ground in the siphon area. It's like he disappeared into thin air. I thought he was going to kill me, said McKenna. Why? Probably for showing his photo around. Oh, it will be shown in more than one camp. Somebody will find him somewhere. Thank you, sir. I'm J.T. Williams, Deputy Bill Dawson, by the way. You can reach me at house number seven. Thanks. Aubrey and McKenna merged into the late day sunlight. This time of day with its shadows and orange blended sun rays appealed to him. Walking with her along the hill changed his entire consciousness. Got that old beat up piano coming up Tuesday by rail from the Saugus camp. Old Corky, the guy who used to play it, got done and went back to San Bernardino. And you found out where it gets around. I don't know how good it will sound, probably needs to be tuned. How'd you learn to play, Aubrey? He asked as they started up the hill. Music comes down in my family. Granddad played the fiddle. She turned to him. What do you play, Mark? The spoons? Oh, you? No, you don't, said Aubrey. And the kazoo? She shook her head and then grabbed him and kissed him for some time. They held hands and started up the hill. Where did you come from, Mark McKenna? I magically appeared. I believe that. They found their favorite spot atop the canyon and faced the sun hovering near the horizon hills. She parked her fluffy blonde hair on his shoulder. For several minutes they held hands and just stared at the last vestige of sunlight before the orange ball sunk below the hills. What's the best place to live in L.A.? She raised her dark brows. I like the ocean. Sit on the golden sands and see forever. I'd like a place with a little fence overlooking the ocean, with poppies. There's a poppy field when I was very young. I love the poppies. What about you, McKenna? You're from Ohio. It's snowy in Ohio. It's snowy here, too, if you climb the mountains. But I prefer the beach and the docks in San Pedro, she said as she gazed up at him. Are you looking forward to the dance? I am. What about your music? The sheet music will be here before the dance. And the songs? asked McKenna. What songs will you play? You, Mr. McKenna, are going to have to wait. She looked over his shoulder. Isn't that Steuben coming up the hill? McKenna stood and grabbed her hand, pulling it up. Steuben moved quickly up the Jawbone Canyon. Your alter ego, Mark. You've known him for a while. Many years. Excuse me, darling. She smiled when he called her darling. McKenna met Steuben a short way down the hill. Nico was here tonight. What? Dawson and the deputies have his photo. He forced me outside, Georgie's. When the deputies arrived, he produced this puff of bright gas and disappeared. I assume he went into the Obersee. He wants me to witness what he's about to do. Steuben nodded. We have to stop him. We need your permission for McGrath and Rasputin to exit the schooner and insert uranium atoms directly into the dimensional lines. They need to be armed. Somehow, Nico is able to enter the Oversee without opening it and undetected. Steuben inhaled and looked down the pipeline half constructed in the Desert Canyon. They will be fully armed. 
the atoms will begin migrating along the linear dispersions. It may take some time to reach a critical mass where the dimension implodes inward and collapses. I understand. I'll be down before sunset and I'll accompany you. Here, take your device. We'd better hope this uranium thing works. Give me an hour. I'll call if Nico shows up again. Steuben looked up the hill. See you in an hour. Thanks, Georgies. As Steuben descended the canyon, McKenna started up the hill. Aubrey faced west. He climbed the hill, knowing Steuben was right, but also knowing, as he put his arms around Aubrey, that he just was not going to let her go. Yes, the story is getting serious. Nico is using highly advanced technology to destroy dimensions, thus the timeline. With Cam dead, McKenna has become like an animal against Nico. Yet he's enamored with Aubrey Jane in the most tender way and vows, despite his mission, never to let her go. Next time, we do have some tender moments, but we also have a battle between Nico Morrow and McKenna where more people are going to die. I'm Robert P. Fitton. See you next time for a Time Portal Alpha, a science fiction odyssey. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittonbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.